Welcome to Highlands Church Audio Sermons. Today, December 17th, 2023, we conclude our Advent series with a sermon titled, Time to Draw Near, by Pastor Mark Yule out of Hebrews chapter 4, verse 16. Enjoy. What time is it? Let's have a little interaction here. Yeah, oh, we have a hand. Yes, what time is it? 11.14. Good. Yeah, if you look right back there, see that the, the, the clock? Is that where you saw that? You, you discovered that clock? Good for you. Yeah, the time is 11.14. Now, for, for a lot of you, you may have never noticed that. Um, can I just give you a little bit of inside scoop? The, the people that are up here teaching, we don't pay any attention to that clock. It's, it's there. But So, yeah, 11.14, that could be a potential answer. Uh, is that um, Pacific time? Mountain time, daylight savings time. I don't know about you, but I can never get all those really kind of squared away. In fact, I ran across this meme that that addressed that confusion about time. This is a busy night at Stonehenge as staff work all night to move the stones forward by an hour. (laughs) So let me ask you again, what time is it? What other time options are there? Christmas time, there you go, that's a good time. That's a general time. Uh, That could be a potential answer, but the answer that I'm looking for is a universal time. It would be a time that would be true for all people around the globe, no matter what time zone you happen to be in. What is this universal time that I'm talking about? It's a time of need a time of need. And that phrase is really based on the passage that we're going to take a look at this morning. It's such a great passage. And it ends with this description of this time of need. Let me read the passage. It's Hebrews 4.16. The writer put it this way, let us then with confidence draw near to the throne of grace that we may receive mercy and find grace to help in time of need. Time of need. You know, we hate to admit that we live in that time zone, that time of need. Uh, A couple illustrations of this. Um, I'm a chaplain for the Scottsdale Fire Department. And um, with that, I get notified of some things that are happening that are... uh, you know, fire-related. If there's an unusual call or someone falls off their bike in the mountain preserve and they need help, I'll get notice of that. Plus, I also get notice if there's anything that's happening that's unusual with one of our members. And so the classic example was a dispatch that was issued to my phone, and it said something like this, firefighter so-and-so, we want to congratulate because they've just given birth to their first uh, baby. Um, mother and father are fine, baby's fine, and then these words, no needs. Well, I'm thinking, whoever dispatched that no needs has never been a parent, because <laughs> you, for all of us that have been, you know that there are needs all over the place, but we just hate to admit the fact that we have needs. Over these last several months, our family has been undergoing an ongoing uh, condition with our son, Corey. And several of you, many of you, 
well-meaning friends have come along and said, hey, Mark, if you need anything, let us know. Reality is, there's a very slim chance that I'm going to let you know that I've got a need. Because the needs that we really have, many of them, you really can't meet anyway. But I'm just so proud that I just hate to admit that I have a need. And many of us are like that. And yet we live in this time zone where the universal time for all of us is a time of need. Let me give you four examples that are fictional, but if you were to look around and if you had the abilities to read people's minds and hearts, these might be real needs that would be for the people that are around you or perhaps you yourself. You might be like uh, Michelle. Michelle feels like God is just a million miles away. She's kind of wandered away from church, kind of put her faith on hold, and just feels like God's just got to be out there somewhere, but surely he's not paying attention to her needs. But there's this longing inside her that she knows something's got to change. She's just not right. And so every year about this time, she makes her way back into church and works and tries to do all that she can to earn her favor back with God. Or maybe you're like Elizabeth. Elizabeth, maybe the best word to describe her condition is estranged. She's had a hard time with relationships. She's been burned so many times that she holds others at bay. And if she were to be honest with us about how she feels about God, she does that same thing. She gives God the emotional straight arm and says, I don't really trust you, Lord. Or maybe you're like Pete. Pete's had a hard time. Uh, Life has dealt him one bad card after another. And as a result, Pete just finds himself worn down. He's just exhausted. He's a believer in Christ, but he's been offering up prayers of help for so long, and they seem like they've just hit the ceiling with no apparent response from God. Or maybe you're like Shane. Shane is the last person that you'd expect to see in a church, and he's the last person that would probably even want to go to church because Shane has blown it big time in many ways. He's gotten involved in drugs and and sex and all the things that go with that, an open revolt against God. And if he were to be honest, he would say that God would have no part of him for all of his failures in life. All those people live in a time of need, but do you know what draws all of those people together? In fact, it has drawn all of us together at one time or another. All of us have this this shared need, this shared need of being distant and wanting to be drawn close. Feeling like God's remote, but knowing that you want to be near. All of us share this need. And again, the the best uh, physical illustration I can think of that that illustrates what it means to be at a distance and then the difference that it makes to be up close happened to me about 2000, well it was 2006. We got invited to go to Ireland for the Ryder Cup. 
Now, for those non-golfers out there, that's an event that happens every two years. It's a world of event. And this particular Ryder Cup was at the K Club near Dublin. And so we had a chance to go back there, and I was so excited about being able to see this event. So we get there, and we're proudly wearing our red, white, and blue for you know, the United States team. And what I found is that unlike the stadium layout of hills and uh, where it allows great viewing, the Clay Cake Club offered none of that. It's pretty much flat. And to be able to see with these Euros that were standing like rugby players, you know, to, to not let you in, it was a chore to be able to even see what was happening. Every now and then you'd hear a cheer and you knew that someone had made a shot or sank a putt or something, but it was almost impossible to, to enjoy golf to see it. What you'd have to do, you'd have to run ahead about five or six holes and try to position yourself where there, there might be a shot. And it was just, it wasn't very enjoyable. Well, that afternoon, that first afternoon, someone in our party ran into a friend, and this friend happened to work with the PGA. So they said, hey, how have you enjoyed your experience so far? Well, we told them how hard it was to see, and they said, meet me here tomorrow, and I'll see if I can do something about that. So we expectantly met them there that next morning, and sure enough, they brought out a big bag and reached inside this bag and gave everybody a lanyard, a lanyard with an all-access pass to the Ryder Cup. So, as I made my way through the crowd, holding up my badge, excuse me, excuse me, yes, even you, get to the side there, excuse me, I went under the ropes, and we were able to see the Ryder Cup in a way that was unbelievable. I mean, you're right there with the action. I felt like one of the caddies. Phil was about ready to make a putt, and I wanted to get down and say, you might want to play this about a cup to the left. <laughs> While I was at one hole, I, I didn't notice it at first, but I looked over, and right here was George Bush Sr. Right there next to me. I could have touched No Secret Service or anything. Right next to him was Michael Jordan just puffing on a big cigar. I thought, this is incredible. And it, didn't, it, it got better. Later that day, we were able to make our way into the clubhouse. Into the clubhouse where the players go. And I don't know how any golfer it weighs less than 287 pounds based on the buffet table line that I saw before me. It was an unbelievable experience. And that difference from being far to being up close is what we're talking about this morning. So as we've already looked at this great passage, my prayer uh, that I've been able to share with everybody is that I would pray that God's Spirit would allow this simple passage to reach each of us who live in a time of need so that we can understand the significance of what this promise entails, how we get to draw near, and the tremendous results that accompany this idea of being brought close to the action. So for that, I'd like to pray before we really open up and discover what this passage has. So would you pray with me quickly? Father, thank you so much that we have an opportunity to understand your word, your desire. Father, you've written this, you've preserved it for us to be able to understand the significance this morning. Father, my prayer would be that your spirit would be the teacher 
to help us understand the incredible words of this simple passage. And Father, I pray that we would do it for your glory. In Jesus' name, amen. Well, we've looked at the universal time. Uh, We've talked about this shared need that all of us have. Third, I want to talk about this great invitation. And we read the opening words of this invitation in verse 16 of Hebrews chapter 4. Let us then... I want to camp out just a quick word on those three words, let us then, because the then refers us back to what we've learned over the last two weeks as we've looked at verse 14 and 15. First, verse 14 talked about the idea that we've got a great high priest who has passed through the heavens and that we are able to hold fast to our confession of faith. Hold fast. You know, it's impossible to hold fast something that's far away. We need to have that nearness to be able to hold fast. So we've got this, this, uh, again, um, encouragement to hold fast. And then verse 15 talks about the fact that we've got a God who is able to sympathize with us. This person, Jesus Christ, came to earth, lived life perfectly, without a flaw, without a sin, lived life perfectly, and yet can relate to us because he was able to be exposed to every temptation that you and I go through that would want to pull us away from the intimacy that God wants for each of us and for all of us. Christ lived that life perfectly and offered up his life so that he could pay the price so that then we would have access to God. So then, let us, we continue, with confidence, draw near to the throne of grace. What a great invitation. And this is written in a way that's not a command. We aren't commanded to draw near. It's not like the command that I would issue to our dog, Lucy. Lucy, come here. Lucy, drop that slipper. No, this is is an open invitation. This is at our discretion. This would be like a K-Club sign at the Ryder Cup saying, come on in, enjoy. And it's at your discretion on whether you want to take that invitation up or not. So let us then draw near. Again, not commanded, invited. That's why this is such a great invitation. And then notice what we are to do. We are to draw near. That's a great term. It talks about approaching someone, normally one who is in great power or authority. And there can be no greater power or authority than God himself. It's the, like the, the thing that you would see um, in a courtroom where the, the judge is sitting up on his chair, and normally he's sitting up in an elevated position, and he would tell the attorneys at his discretion, uh, you may approach the bench. And that's the idea, that word approach is the idea of drawing near. Now, how do we do that? How are we to draw near? What does it tell us? How's the condition of which we draw near? With confidence, boldly. It's not like the Wizard of Oz movie and the cowardly lion that has to go before the Wizard of Oz that first time and his knees are shaking, the tail's wagging between his legs and he can hardly even go in there and then he runs out at the first mention. No, we can go boldly, 
confidently, with courage, and not in front of some wimpy wizard. We can go with confidence before the omnipresent, omnipotent, omniscient, everything grand and great, holy, just, glorious presence of God. And we can come boldly. I can remember the feeling of going into the clubhouse at the, at the Ryder Cup the first time, and I'm thinking, yeah, I don't deserve to be here. And yet, here, we've, we've been given a, a, an invitation to come without such reservation, without such skepticism that you belong there. No, we can come boldly, confidently to the throne of grace throne of grace. That's an interesting description. Normally, you'd think of a throne as a throne of power or a throne of uh, authority or uh, legal rights or maybe even as it's described in the Scripture in other places, a glorious throne that would just shine with the brilliance of a holy God. This throne is actually described most often simply as the throne of God. It's where God resides. And folks, you and I are able to approach confidently this throne of grace. Grace. Do you know what grace is? It's simply unmerited favor. It's the fact that nothing that you and I can ever do can earn God's favor. God gives us grace. It's perhaps the greatest of all gifts through his son, Jesus Christ. He bestows grace on us unmerited, without any measure or capability that you and I have on our own. That's the throne of grace. It's the grace where God is able to administer his kingdom. Every decision that God makes in the rule and the reign of his kingdom is based on grace. Every time someone approaches God, it's on the terms of grace. Every time someone is reconciled back to God because of the previous division is based upon this free gift, this unmerited favor of grace. Folks, that is an incredible offer that we've been given through grace. Well, that's the great invitation. I want to spend just a minute or two talking about the tremendous results. Because these, again, I hope some of this can sink in. What results as we approach this grace? The writer concludes it this way, that we may receive mercy and find grace to help in time of need. We may receive grace. Receive it. We don't have to work for it. We don't have to beg for it. We don't have to plead. Please give us mercy. God gives grace or gives mercy. And he does so without, again, any effort on our part. Mercy, it's not getting something that we deserve. It's the, really, it's the opposite side of the same type of coin as grace. Again, grace is unmerited favor. Getting something that we, we don't deserve, that's, 
grace and mercy, not getting what we deserve. Let me give you this illustration that might help you understand the difference between the two. Saw this on the news just a couple weeks ago. If you're driving out in Mesa and you perhaps are driving a little too fast or perhaps you roll through a stop sign, uh, at their discretion, the, the city of Mesa police have the ability to put their red lights and pull you over. Now, would you deserve a ticket for your infraction? Not yes, because you, yes, you're guilty. You should get a ticket. But for a limited time only, and I'm not encouraging this, by the way, but for a limited time only, they won't give you a ticket at their discretion. Not only that, see, that's mercy, not getting a ticket. But not only that, they're going to give you a gift certificate for a turkey. And as, as low as this illustration is, that's grace. Getting something that you don't deserve and not getting what you did deserve, which is mercy, mercy and grace. And here we've got both results, both benefits. There's a passage of Scripture that does a lot better job than my lousy Mesa police illustration. It's from Ephesians 2, and it talks about both of these results being combined. But God, what a great transition. But God, being rich in mercy, he doesn't have just a little bit. He's not having to be miserly with his mercy. He's rich in mercy. Because of the great love with which he loved us, that's, again, a motivation from God. Catch this. Even when we were dead in our trespasses, that means that we were guilty as guilty can be. This is like Isaiah standing before the throne of God and saying, Woe is me, for I am a man of unclean lips, recognizing his guilt to stand at all before a holy God. Even when we were dead in our trespasses, God made us alive. How? Together with Christ, by grace you have been saved, and raised us up with him, and here it is, seated us with him in the heavenly places in Christ Jesus. We get to enjoy the seating assignments that God has for Christ. We're right there with him, and that's not all. So that in the coming ages, he might show, here it is again, the immeasurable riches of his grace. He'll never run out of this, this quantity of grace. He never runs shy. It's immeasurable. We can't plumb the debts of his grace. And then, like any good preacher, he repeats himself. For by grace you have been saved through faith. And this, referring to the, the gift of faith, this is not your own doing. It's the gift of God, not a result of works, lest any one of us should pat ourselves on the back and say, oh, look at me, look what I've done. No, even our faith is a gift of God that he gives to draw us near. Friends, this is an incredible passage. And it so complements this great invitation that we have to draw near to the Lord. Draw near. So let me summarize it up this way. I think it's, uh, it, 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 again, these two benefits, we're able to receive mercy and to, to, to again, get grace but that's not all. There's a third important resource or benefit that we've got here, and it's the idea that we can find help, help in time of need. I looked up that word help. It's a simple word, but when I saw this definition, it just rang 
and, and it just meant more. The definition said this for help. It's protection. It's assistance. It's surrounding strength when one feels inadequate, weak, or in need of help. When we're inadequate or incapable, when we're weak, when we need help, that's when help comes, that surrounding strength. And I, we were able to experience an incredible physical demonstration of what help looks like. As I mentioned um, earlier, our son, uh, Corey, has been going through a, a long-term uh, illness. And I, I forgot to tell you, we found out Thursday that 100% of Kevin's cells have now been engrafted into Corey. Such, an, uh, such a prayer. And I know many of you have been praying. Keep praying that God would protect him from uh, future infection and virus. But man, that was such a great uh, news when we heard that on Thursday. Well, several weeks ago, about three weeks ago, Corey had reached his low point in his, in, in his illness. Uh, we thought that maybe he had uh, uh, undergone a stroke because he couldn't really get communicate and his, his mind and mouth weren't working together. Uh, they asked him what year it was, and he said, it's 2012. They asked him who the president was, and he responded, Barack Obama, which it was back in 2012, but it wasn't our current president. Uh, and so they knew something was wrong, so they, they started running all kinds of tests. They put electrodes all over his head, uh, and when we got there uh, a couple hours later, um, he was having a hard time just talking. The, the nurse was in the room, and, and he started trying to communicate. He said, how? And we said, how? Yeah, how? And it was like charades. How can, what he was trying to say after about 10 or 15 minutes of excruciating struggle with this, he was trying to say, how can I ask for your help to the nurse. And we were just heartbroken that he couldn't communicate this. Well, here's where help arrived. The nurse, Maggie, I hope I never forget this moment, comes from working on his IV stuff to his bedside. And she, she kneels down on both knees to get right there next to Corey. And she takes her hands and holds his hand and she said, Corey, you're my only patient for tonight. I'm going to take care of you. <laughs> and I'm telling you, Mary Beth and I at that moment thought, God, thank you for the compassion of this lady. She could have been like Nurse Ratchet. Hey, just hit the button. <laughs> but man, she got in there and demonstrated what God does when we are able to draw near and provide that surrounding strength, that assistance, that protection, when we are incapable, when we need assistance, and when we're at our weakest moment, help is there. Now, I don't know where you sit this morning, but I would think in a crowd this size that there's a lot of us that need that type of resource. We need to be able to draw on a God who knows us, who cares for us, who's been there, 
who says, I will help you. I will be there. I know what you're going through and grab our hand in a spiritual way and his presence is there with us. I will never leave you nor forsake you. And when I thought of that, that word help, it just reminded me of another great invitation that, that Christ would offer. It's found in Matthew 11. Can I just describe it to you briefly, paraphrasing it? Jesus would say, hey, come to me. Come to me. You see that invitation? Not a command, an invitation. Come to me, all you who are wearied, heavy burdened. Take my yoke upon you. You can't get much closer than someone that's right there sharing your load. Take my yoke upon you, for my burden is, is easy and my burden is light. And when you do, when you come and draw near, you will find rest for your soul. Friends, that's the invitation that God's given to every one of us. Today, if you're here, you're here for a reason. You're here to draw near. And if I could summarize all of this verse up, in fact, it's the Christmas story in eight words. It's this, that Jesus came here so that we can draw near. That's the gospel. Jesus came here. He passed through the heavens. He came to be born, to live a perfect life. Why? So that we can draw near, so that we can get up close, so we can receive the mercy, the grace, and the help that God is willing able and wants to provide each of us. So can I use the, the, the sermon notes here to, to summarize where we've been and, and why this is such a great passage? The universal time, it's a, it's a time that every one of us has experienced. It's a time of need. For our sin has separated us from a holy God. And the shared need that we all have is that we need that gap, that wall, that distance to be brought near, to be eliminated, frankly. And that's done through this great invitation that Jesus provides, this invitation that's repeated throughout the New Testament, this invitation that simply says, hey, believe in me, and you'll receive eternal life. Receive me, and you'll experience what it means to have abundant life. Come to me if you're burdened and heavy laden. Draw near to the throne of grace. That's the great invitation and the results, mercy, grace, help, and oh, do we need all three of those. Again, I don't know where you are this morning, but the invitation holds true to all of us. Whether you've never accepted Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior, if that's you, boy, you need that distance covered. You need to draw near through Christ. But maybe you've been a believer for a long time, and like those earlier illustrations, maybe you've just kind of wandered away. It's time to draw near. Maybe you flat out rebelled. It's time to draw near. Maybe you feel like God's a thousand, a million miles away for all the activities of your life, and it's time for you to draw near. Or perhaps you just feel like your prayers have been hitting the ceiling, and God's not doing things according to your timetable. Oh, it's time to draw near and trust him for the help that only he can give. 
So for that, can I pray for all of us? Would you join me as we pray? Father, thank you for this great passage. It is the perfect time to draw near. God, thank you so much for providing your son as the vehicle, the only means that we have to be able to provide or to experience that closeness, that intimacy, and the forgiveness for our sins. So Father, thank you. Thank you so much for what he offers. God, help each of us to draw near, especially this Christmas season. Father, thank you so much. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Now, let's see if you've been paying attention. Do you know what time it is? It's not 11.46, and I've got a minute and 34 to get off stage. Do you know what time it is? It's time to draw near. It's time to draw near. So we're going to close with a song that invites us to do that. It's a song that it's entitled Run to the Father. And it's based on Luke 15, the story of the prodigal son. And there's a little discrepancy with the lyrics that we're going to sing and the truthfulness of Scripture. And here's the discrepancy. In Scripture, it doesn't have the prodigal son who's blown it a million times over running to the father. No. What we read is a loving father that's looking out at the horizon at the first glimpse of seeing a wandering son who's far removed from his fellowship. He hikes his robe up and he runs to the son, hugs him, kisses him, said, kill the fatted calf, put a ring on his finger, give him a new robe, it's better than the buffet at the Ryder Cup. He's got everything for us and the father ran to the son. So when we sing run to the father, realize that we've got a God who has already run to us. And let's sing this song as a way to even express our ability to draw near. Okay, what time is it? Time to go, I know, time to draw near. But we've got some folks up front that would love to be able to help you with that, to just pray with you, to help you draw near that way. We've got some folks back there at the Follow Jesus table that would help you to draw near to God by just finding out how to do that. They'd love to be able to help you. But can I leave you with a, a great passage that's going to serve as a, a benediction, kind of a closing word of encouragement for all of us? It's taken from Ephesians 2, 12 and 13. From the New Living Translation, we read this. In those days, you were living apart from Christ. You were excluded from citizenship among the people of Israel. And you, you did not know the covenant promises that God had made to them. Let's change the pronoun. We lived in this world without God and without hope. But now, we have been united with Christ Jesus. Once, we were far away from God, but now we have been brought near to him. How? Through the blood of Christ. Folks, it's time to draw near. And what better time of year to do it? So would you invite some friends to join you as you draw near? Boy, what a great opportunity that we have to tell a world without hope that there is. There's hope through him. God bless you. Merry Christmas. Merry Christmas.